Good morning. My name is Bobby Boykin, and this is my wife, DJ. Randy has asked us to share a little bit about our story. We know that it's God's plan for two people to fall in love, get married, and stay married. However, it didn't work that way for us. But God had another plan for our lives. We were both divorced in the early 1990s. We met at church and got married in 1992. I have four children, three sons and one daughter. DJ has one daughter. My children's ages were 12, 11, 8, and 5, and DJ's daughter was 5 when we got married. The day we got married, the children became our children, not yours and not mine. We have five children. Not that we wanted to replace their other parents, but we wanted to just love and enhance their lives. Now, just as our children have gotten married, we don't have son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. We have other children. It's really helped us as a couple that our family, our parents and siblings have loved and supported us and our children as one family unit. We realized very early that we had to love and respect and protect one another in our relationship. We've done this by putting God first. If you've ever been part of a blended family, you know some of the difficulties that you encounter, whether it be with children or former spouses. In the early years when the wounds were fresh, we would be put in awkward positions to participate in functions for the children. But we learned very early that we can do anything, go anywhere, be around anyone for an hour or so. <laughs> uh, we, we just kept our focus on what was best for our family. And in the midst of all the struggles, <clears throat> there were a lot of anger and resentment. God showed us that we needed to forgive If we expect God to forgive us, then we have to forgive others. That's when we begin praying daily for our former spouses. Our relationship with them really started improving. Hearts were softened, not only theirs, but ours. And that's when our lives changed. We really began to see our relationship with Bob's former wife, Betty, build when our granddaughter Mary was born. We all did what it took for Mary. God has used Mary to pull us together, and he still does. When Mary was just six months old, she went to live with Betty. The three of us made a pact at that time. Our goal was to make sure that Mary knew that she was very much loved and wanted. When we first got married, we were blending our family together, our two families, into one. And now all these years later, we're blending them again as our granddaughter Mary now lives with us and has for the last year. She's eight. 
We're trying to figure out the balance of parent-grandparent roles to Mary and just being grandparents to our other grandchildren. We have four grandchildren and one on the way. Our small group has really helped us, prayed with us through all that. We've always been a big part of Mary's life, so for her to move in with us was relatively easy. Mary spent most weekends, holidays, and vacations with us. The struggle's been more with us getting used to raising an eight-year-old at our age. Helping with homework, third-grade math isn't very easy. (laughs) And going to activities on a daily basis. After a long court battle with Mary's mother, the judge ruled that it was in Mary's best interest for her to remain living with us. So we will continue to do what's best for Mary. Randy talked last week about cooperative colleagues. Bob and I consider Bob's former wife a friend and a cooperative colleague. We rely on her, and she relies on us. We call each other several times a week. We all participate together at family birthdays and holidays. Betty's 13-year-old daughter even calls us mom and dad. As many of you might remember, uh, Mary was baptized a couple of months ago here in this church. Mary loves coming to church, and we attribute that to our family life, what God has done, and the staff here at the church, such as Justin Craig and Kelly Kirchhofer. God has really restored our family, kept his hand on our family, and we're all drawing close together to do what it takes to be there for each other in every aspect. Through all of our struggles, God has kept us together. God's always helped us not to let any other outside influences affect our relationship with each other. Um, I, I'm so glad we got to hear your story. Thank you for coming up here and sharing with us. And we're going to pray over you. Uh, but I want to—I've some, got some follow-up questions. All right. Usually don't do that, but okay. we're doing it. We're <laughs> awesome. Huh? We talked about this as we were prepping for um, uh, Bob and DJ's story. Uh, we we actually just went into an extended conversation about some really really. Um, great experiences that the Lord has led you through. So, question number one. Uh, talk to us about challenges, your greatest challenge. Mm. Well, my greatest challenge is, uh, I think, now is when I attend events with Mary, you know, like school events and sporting events, her friends' fathers are half my age. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm old enough to be their dad. And uh, I think they look at this old gray-haired guy as saying, hmm, he's really got it going on. (laughs) 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 uh, It's the chin thing, man. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it it never fails. Mary always comes up and reveals my true identity (laughs) as her (laughs) bop-bop. But really... It's just striving to be the best dad and the best bop-bop that I can be. Yeah, yeah, uh, you are. Yeah. You are. Um, uh, Talk about best practices, best practices. What's helped you integrate your family? Well, there's a few. Um, First, putting our feelings aside and putting the kids first. Um, Spending time together as a family is vital. Um, Being constant. Mm -hmm. Um, 
One of the main things that we do is have dinner together as a family every mm-hmm. night around the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. That's a good time to really um, invest in your children's lives, to partake and show that you're interested and um, allow them time to share what they went through during the day. Um, we have a lot of fun at dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, this continues on as our children and their families um, come over to our house at least once a week for dinner. <laughs> That's good. Last question is, uh, how can your church family encourage you? How can we encourage you? Well, I'd say, first of all, small groups. Um, it's hard to get connected in a larger church, um, and connection's vital. So um, when we joined our small group, we really started to feel part of the family. So I would encourage everybody, if you're not in a small group, to do so. But, and and a, another thing is, DJ and I, we've experienced some really tough times. Uh, but we have always felt that God has shown us, if we needed something, if we needed a miracle in our lives, then we needed to put our needs aside and minister to other people. Hmm. And it was like, then we would receive the miracle that we needed. Hmm. And uh, that's just really what we have clung on to, and that's how we've tried to live our lives. It's kind of, we titled it Miracles in Ministry. Hmm. So. <laughs> The other day you called that M&M's. M&M's. <laughs> M&M's, Miracles of Ministry. That'll yep. preach. Yep. Yeah. So. Thank you both. Let's pray over you. Why don't you come down and uh, let us uh, love on you. Growing healthy step families. That is what I want to talk about this morning as we continue our series um, on modern families. The step family today. This is really an important subject, and here's why. Here's why. Um, According to the Pew Research Center, in our country today, 42% of American adults have step family relationships. 42%. Think about that for a minute. So if the adult population of the United States were uh, in this room right here, 42% of you would have step-family relationships. About a third of all weddings today form step-families. About a third. One in three weddings performed give birth to step-families. And at least two-thirds of step-family couples divorce. Two-thirds. So... Step family life is very much part of our lives. Step families form in the hope of a promising future. Yet the failure rate of step family couples reveal that growing a healthy step family is really hard, often much harder than we think. And why is that? Well, it may have something to do with first understanding what a step family is. 
And so let's talk about that in terms of definition. Let's define a step family. A step family is a family in which one or both parents bring children into the new marriage out of a previous marriage which ended in death or divorce. A step family. One in which one or both parents bring children into the new marriage out of a previous marriage which ended in death or divorce. So, so right up front, we need to understand that a step family is birthed out of profound loss. Profound loss. And the kind of loss that can encompass a host of scenarios. So in one scenario, you might have you know, one spouse with four children and another spouse with one child and of different age ranges. In another scenario, you might have a spouse that has two children from a previous marriage and uh, their formers died and now they live together. Or you might have a scenario where one or more of these children uh, lives with the couple while one or more of the other children might live with another biological parent. Or you might have a scenario where you have a mother with a baby and her husband died in a car accident and she has remarried and this is his first marriage and then they have children of their own and that introduces a half-brother, half-sister relationship. Or you might have a scenario where a couple remarries because their spouses died and they had adult children and they no longer live at home. Uh, or you might have a situation where a couple remarries and one of them is a widower, the other divorced, and his kids all live out of town, her kids live in town. You see how diverse the step family dynamic really is? There's just a host of scenarios and, and the challenge of teaching the, all of those scenarios. We've got different scenarios in the room here of step family stories. You just heard one this morning. But what is common, what is common uh, in the midst of all of this diversity is that this new family, this remarriage, this recoupling has been put together out of a sense of profound loss, which leads us to the meaning of step in step family. It can be traced back to an 8th century old English, meaning bereaved bereaved. So there's this significant sense of bereavement and loss and grief. Someone's spouse has died. Someone's marriage has died. And out of that loss, a new family has formed. And how do you live in the new family? How do you live in the new family while processing the pain of what was lost? You know, there's probably not a day that goes by when the new couple, at least one or both, might think of their former spouse. Maybe their birthday or the anniversary of their wedding or maybe the day she died or the day that the divorce was final. And that's just how the adults are processing this. What about the children? How do they process? You see, it's really complicated, isn't it? And unfortunately, our culture really hasn't helped a whole lot because our culture, you know, has encouraged myths of step family life. Um, in the late 60s, does anybody remember the late 60s? <laughs> in the late 60s, a TV producer named Sherwood Schwartz read an article in the LA Times about 
this new phenomenon that was happening and emerging in America called the step family phenomenon. And Sherwood Schwartz said, you know, I can take advantage of that. And he did. And he produced a really cheesy sitcom in the early 70s. What's the name of it? The Brady Bunch. All right. Yeah, The Brady Bunch. You know, season one, they've got to adjust. There's some episodes where they have to adjust. But by season two, they got this thing down pat. And everybody's smiling, and they're all happy looking around. And, you know, why wouldn't they be? You've got Mike Brady. He's got this incredible job. He's a filthy rich architect because all architects are filthy rich, you know. And he lives in Southern California, and he can afford to feed really six great smart, pretty kids, and he's got this drop-dead gorgeous wife, and he's so rich he can afford to board Alice, the full-time housekeeper, huh? And so every Friday night in America in the early 70s, along with the Partridge family, remember that one? Another cheesy sitcom that we'll save for another sermon, You're likely to hear this song, right? Remember the song? Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. Yeah, you know it, don't you? Yeah. Lovely? They weren't lovely. They're sinners. They are. Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, lovely. They're not. Romans 3.13, their throat is an open grave. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. That's not lovely, is it? Here's a story of a man named Brady. But what kind of man is he? just asking, I mean, is he a loud man? Is he an angry man? All we know is that his last name rhymes with lady. (laughs) And we also know he got a perm in season three. (laughs) Which is confusing because he's from Oklahoma. I don't get that. (laughs) They were four men living all together. But they were all alone. He was alone, but not the boys. They weren't alone. They liked it that way. I mean, they had the ultimate 2,000-square-foot frat house man cave experience. They could belch. They could burp. They could be smelly and sour and messy. No girls allowed. What's wrong with that? Alone? Really? And then one day when the lady met this fellow, where did they meet anyway? (laughs) Church? Did they meet in church? Was it at Ebert Fest? Mile 13 of the marathon? Was it a golf course? We don't know, do we? 
And they knew that it was much more than a hunch. Well, let's hope so. (laughs) Because you're going to need more than a hunch to make it. Or your series is going to be canceled after five seasons. (laughs) See? Call me a cynic. And, and, you know, we know, we know this about TV, right? TV makes it look so easy and it's timed. and, And so we know that. But yet at the same time, How easy it is for us to be in denial about the challenges of step-family life. You know, uh, one one of the adults thinks, finally, someone who will take care of me or someone who will treat me proper this time or I feel so good when I'm with him or her. And, And this warm euphoria we feel over the possibility of a future spouse can cloud or even obstruct the stone hard challenges of integrating two families into one. And this causes many well-meaning couples to buy into some myths, such as, such as, love will happen instantly between all family members. Or, we'll do marriage and family life better this time around. Well, you might, you might, but you know what? It's not going to happen on its own. Or, or our children will feel as happy about the remarriage as we do. Or blending is the goal of this step family. Hmm? I want to talk about that a little more in just a minute. Or, you know, all of the above happens to be true because my situation is special and different. And what I want to do with the remainder of our time is just to offer a, a better framework. There's a better framework than the one our culture gives us. I want to offer a framework about the step family that can help us deal with these myths and equip us to think clearly about both the challenges and the joys of step family life. And I want to call this framework the gospel framework for the step family. The gospel framework for the step family. The gospel framework for the step family is a set of lenses through which to see uh, yourself. Your step family, and most importantly, God. The gospel framework for the family. The gospel framework says that before you see yourself in your step family, you really need to see yourself as a member of God's family. The gospel framework teaches us that just as the step family is born out of pain and loss, so our relationship with God is born out of pain and loss. You see, the gospel framework doesn't start with the story of a lovely lady. It starts with the story of a sovereign God. Our creator God fashioned this universe and created the perfect and sinless garden of Eden and then put the man and the woman, his icons, his representatives, he set in that garden to rule as his representatives over creation And it was wonderful and perfect and ideal. And then the evil one came and tempted them. And Adam and Eve fell into sin. They were sentenced to death. And as a result of their sin, death has spread throughout the human race. And what followed their sin was more sin. Jealousy and murder between brothers, Cain and Abel. And yet in this tragedy, God made a covenant with his people. He made a covenant that one day a redeemer would come whose sole purpose and mission was to destroy the work of the devil. 
And so later on, in the book of Genesis, God came to Abraham. And God promised that Abraham would become a great nation. And through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Well, what kind of a saint was Abraham to receive this promise? Not much of one. Abraham has a child by his wife's servant and then ends up sending them both away. And then his great-grandsons sell their stepbrother into slavery. Oh, and by the way, Abraham's family, they were also idol worshipers. And yet God blesses them. And this family grows. And not just through biological reproduction. No, it's a family that takes in strays. It's a family that picks up an Egyptian here and there. Ruth from Moab. Rahab, the prostitute. And yet through all of this brokenness and loss... All would be blessed. And then Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the promised redeemer comes. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you, and be a part of my family. However sin and death have torn you apart, no matter your loss, you come and you be a part of my family by grace through faith. And the Bible tells us that we all live in a complicated world with complicated relationships because of sin. But we've been rescued and redeemed. And all of us are a part of it. This expanding family of grace due to the loss of Jesus' life. And Jesus' death and resurrection leads to our adoption and integration in the family of God. So much so that the New Testament book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is not afraid to call us his brothers. Hebrews 2.12 I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This is a family whose sole purpose is to be a family for those without a family. For the wounded and the broken and the rebellious. This is a family for mutts and strays. This is who we are, church. Our family in Christ has known loss and sin and grief. And yet Jesus has rescued and redeemed us. In Christ, we have hope for the future. The gospel framework assures us that one day Jesus will return. And he will remake the new heavens and the new earth. And with new bodies, our family will one day worship and serve together with him for all eternity. Death will be defeated and we will be with him forever. Amen. That's the gospel framework, church. The gospel framework for the step family. And it's a framework that helps us speak with compassion about step family life. It helps us see that our story, our life in Christ is the story of a step family. It's the story about how we've become part of God's family through loss and tragedy. And here's why this matters. When you're thinking about what a healthy step family looks like, you need more than a special techniques. There's just, there's just too many challenges for you to think, well, if I just had seven steps or six ways or five, you, you, need, you need more than that. 
you need a better story, and you need a better story than he makes me feel special or she makes me feel loved. You need a better story. That's not a good enough story. It's not. You need to know that you're in someone else's story, God's story. And you need an identity. That's what you need. You need to understand that step family life, with your identity in Christ, you need to understand that step family life is not second class, and it's not second best, and it's not plan B in God's eyes Rather, it's a part of God's good and pleasing and perfect will. That's what you need to understand. And you need that kind of assurance to carry you along in the challenging times. And so we come to the point, the big idea, the lesson for today, which is this. Let your security in God's family, let your Assurance and confidence in what Christ has done. Let the truth that Jesus is your solid rock, your foundation, let that help you and strengthen you and equip you for the joys and the challenges of step family life. Let your security in God's family equip you for your step family. That's the point. And when that becomes embedded in your soul, you can expect some results. And I want to mention three of them with the time that remains. One result is this. As a result of the gospel framework, you will have a more realistic perspective about step family life than you would have otherwise. A more realistic perspective. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during World War II. And he wrote a wonderful book called Life Together. Life Together. Listen to what he says. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Now let me substitute a word here. He who loves his dream of his stepfamily more than the stepfamily itself will destroy the stepfamily. You see that? See, see, you know, when we get fixated on, well, here's what I think stepfamily life ought to be like, and it's going to have to look like this, and everybody's going to have to behave like that. Listen, if you stay fixed on that, you're going to hurt the very thing you want to love. Truth is, you're going to have to lose your box. And that's not to say that we, we don't passionately pursue the good of what Christ wants. It means that we need to let God enter our situation and let it become what he wants it to become. And that requires wisdom. I mean, sometimes daily, hourly, on-the-spot wisdom. God, what would you have in this situation? And so, you know, when my worth is grounded... In Jesus Christ, when he becomes my primary identity, then I don't have to find my worth and my identity in my stepfamily or in the marriage that brought it about. I don't have to find my dream uh, of what I think stepfamily life absolutely has to be 
You know, it's great when the step family gets along. It's wonderful. It really is. And the affirmation of a pleasing season in marriage is fantastic. But when the step family or the marriage doesn't affirm me the way I would like to be affirmed, I need to find my source of esteem in the living God who has adopted me in his family. And it's really important that we get this, church. Because the reality is this. When you have stepchildren, they're going to need attention. Uh, When you have children, they're going to need attention. And you can't be two places at once. And when your spouse needs to pay attention to her biological child, well, that may mean she's not going to be paying attention to you, her spouse. And your position in Christ helps you let your spouse be the parent to her biological child. And on the other side of the table... When you do need to pay attention to your child, then because of where you stand in Christ, you're also going to be sensitive enough to affirm your marriage verbally and say, you know, sweetheart, I need to be with Johnny now, but I want you to know, you know, my heart is also with you. I love you, and I wish we could be together, and we will later And at the same time, your position in Christ will give you the wisdom to protect and nurture your marriage so that when you do need to have important and necessary and perhaps even confrontational phone calls with uh, your former, you can have those in the living room or you can have those in the dining room. You can have those in the office. But you know, you're not going to have those in your bedroom Because your bedroom is your sacred space for your marriage. Your marriage, you see. You see? Realistic perspective that comes from knowing that you belong in God's family. There's a second result, and it has to do with patience towards integration. As a result of the gospel framework, you will be equipped with the Spirit's Empowered patience as you strive to integrate your family. You know, it's very common for an emotional shift to occur after the wedding. After the wedding, couples often stop focusing on winning each other and immediately turn to the concerns of their instant family. And this can lead to kind of a microwave mentality or a food processor approach to blending where, you know, we think of blending as just, let's just pour everybody in this container with the blade at the bottom and turn on and let's just kind of become one unified mixture. And someone once said that when the goal is a blended family, one of them is going to get creamed. And really, when we talk about blending... We want to think of the word integrating, integrating, because integ- you know, blending through integrating it makes the, f- it, really, in reality, family life is more like a casserole or a toss salad, right? Because, I mean, the children are different. They have different personalities and different gifts and different emotional temperaments and different levels of emotional maturity and And biologically related children will, in many circumstances, feel a tighter bond with blood relatives. And that's not to say that the step 
relationships can't be close. It's just that blood is thick. And, and then when you put several stepchildren into a family dynamic, it's likely that maybe a step-parent might be close to one child and there might be a neutral relationship with another and maybe distance from yet another. And so this means instead of a microwave mindset, you're going to have to have a, a crockpot mindset, a slow cooker mindset. And the crockpot mentality has two features to it, time and low heat. Time and low heat. Let's talk about time for just a minute. By time, I mean this. On average, on average, it takes a step family about seven years to integrate, to experience closeness and authenticity. Now, some families can fast-track that, and that can happen in maybe three or four years Um, other families may require up to a decade. And few adults come into their stepfamily believing that it will take this long. Um, uh, Ron Deal has written a book that I would recommend and has been a help to me in this message. It's called The Smart Stepfamily. And he tells about a stepfather who was trying to bond with a 12-year-old girl. This girl's biological father had died. Her mother had remarried and then divorced, and so now he's the third dad in her life trying to connect. And the father was so frustrated, he told the counselor he was seeing how difficult it was, and he just finally gave up. And the counselor asked, well, how long have you been trying to connect with her? And he said, three months. Well, it's going to take more time than that. It's going to take time to adjust to new living conditions and new parents and new rules and new environment. It's going to take time to experience each other. It's going to take time to develop commitment and trust and a shared history. It's going to take time to find a sense of belonging and an identity. And it's going to take time for that father to transition through some roles like uh, at first maybe that particular father finds himself more like a camp counselor or a coach. Uh, But after time, maybe in a year or two, perhaps an aunt or an uncle. And then after time, hopefully, fulfilling a step-parental role. So you see, in relationship to the child's biological parent, the question for the step-parent becomes, how can I support the child's biological parent? How can I affirm the biological parents? You see, the step-parent may want more of a say than the biological parent is ready to give. It just takes time. Crockpots need time, and crockpots need low heat. That is to say, gradual, intentional efforts to bring the parts together. And so that means that a step-family night may look differently than a biological family night. And, or a step-family vacation might be different. Each parent may need to spend some time with their biological children. Or maybe the step-parent spending time alone with the, uh, their spouse's children. You're going to have to get creative and flexible And communicate, communicate, communicate. 
Well, the third result is that step-parents, because they know that their primary story, that they are in God's story of being his family through Jesus, those step-parents can begin to function as pastors and shepherds uh, and, and not substitute parents. Let me unpack that for just a minute. Think about the kinds of losses that are going on with children. Loss of contact with parents, grandparents, extended family, loss of living arrangement, loss of routine, um, a loss that has now brought about a new step-parent, which they really didn't ask for, loss of school, loss of teachers, activities. And some of those changes bring a greater sense of loss than others. Here is an opportunity for the wise step-parent to engage as a shepherd and a pastor. So let's say that, let's say that, the, that a child's biological father has died of cancer. The step-parent, his or her security in Christ, well, it allows you to validate their love for their deceased parent. And so when that child says, you know, today I'm really missing my dad, the wise step-parent will say, well, tell me more about that. Or I'm missing my old house, tell me more about that. Or I'm missing my brother, tell me more about that. Or I, I miss it when it was just mom and me, tell me more about that. See, tell me more. See, your security in Christ keeps you from taking it personally. Because you know that you are in God's family. And Jesus is your primary identity, not not your stepchild's affection, you see. And because you can act as a pastor and a shepherd, you might in some situations be able to facilitate that child's relationship with the deceased father's extended family, you see. And in doing so, you display love in a way that reflects that of our Redeemer, Jesus. So those are some results. Realistic perspective, patience in integration, and learning to be a pastor of your family. The gospel framework is about love. The kind of love that we read of in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's, that's the gospel framework, isn't it? I guess what I would like, church family, for us here is I would like the kind of love, this kind of, of Christ-centered, gospel-driven love that we read of, I'd like for that to exist in your families, whether you have a step-family dynamic, whatever your family dynamic is, I'd like the love of Christ to permeate that. Um, And I'll just say, um, I have been privileged here of late to have a front row seat at this kind of love um, 
in the past 10 days. Katie mentioned earlier that two godly women in our church family are now with Jesus in heaven. And um, this past week, I was privileged to officiate um, at um, Nani King, Dortha King's um, memorial service here at the church. And Nani sat um, right over there, right where you're sitting, Liz. And um, she was almost 96. And I went to see her before she died, and we had a pleasant conversation. She said, um, "She said, you know, will you officiate at my message uh, at my funeral, uh, Randy?" I said, "Of course I will." She said, "Well, I'm not a member at Windsor Road." I said, "Nani, you are too." I said, "You, you know, uh, you you ask me uh, you ask me how my mother is every Sunday because she, she knew that I." speak to my mother every Sunday. You, you ask me every week how my gout is, because I told her that once, and every Sunday afterwards, how's your gout? You know? And so, and then you ask me if I've had cherry juice for my gout. Every week, those three things. I said, Nani, you ask me how my mother is, you ask me about my gout, and you ask me about my cherry juice. That makes you a member at Windsor Road Christian Church. Okay? So, And so, so it was just a wonderful service. And um, the great-grandchildren uh, came, and she shared poems. And she's with Jesus. And, uh, and uh, last night, about 7.50, another godly woman in our church family went to be with the Lord, Stephanie Wetzel. Um, she was not 95, Um, I wish that you could have been in that room of that critical care to feel all that was in that room. Um, There was... We were just so sad. And we were so full of hope and we were so full of love and it just flooded that room and it's because everybody in that room was in another story a story of a king who came to die for his people Every other kingdom, the people have to die for the king. But in the gospel story, the king lays down his life for his people, for us. And so where Nani and Stephanie are, that's our destiny. And that gives us the strength we need to love well. Amen.